uh, we are we all asked in the sector for a long time so i made it what's known as a freedom of information request um they rejected the uh, release of those recommendations i appealed to uh, the Office of the Victorian Information Commission, um, and they found in my favour and said, you, you have to release those recommendations. Um, rather than do that, though, they've hired more lawyers. There's been a lot of lawyers involved already, but more lawyers um, to take it to, to court to, to appeal that decision. We just This stuff needs to be public. It's not like, you know, it's not that sensationalist. It's just about where the, the system's, you know, doing well and where it needs to improve. Um, so... Uh, yeah, it's, we've been asking for a few years, myself and other people. Um, the Royal Commission actually recommended service level data. So it said, like, to drive better performance, you need to, you know, um, publish service level data. Because if you kind of keep it all general, then the lowest performing ones can cut, you know, free ride on the, you know, the, the benefits of the best performing ones. Um, so, you know, having, having a, uh, just having transparency um, can allow people in, you know, we've got Warrnambool, um, which is a small town near the, the border with South South Australia, um, you know, it can help um, people in that area know where their specific hospital ranks relative to others, but also where it needs to improve, you know. All right. My name is Dr. Matthew Aistillo. Welcome to Researching Happy. This is the podcast all about the stories behind the studies of the happiness and well-being research world. Sorry, this episode is a little bit late. I've been a bit under the weather um, and it was busy. It was Father's Day. Um, in Australia, I don't think it's Father's Day around the world. I'm pretty sure Hallmark has to sort of flatten out their um, their cash flow, make sure that you know there's not too many pigs and troughs. So we paid our money for our cards this uh, this weekend. So, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, don't buy Hallmark cards. So, welcome to episode 21. We take a bit of a different approach today. So, you know, while this show is mostly about the researchers, as we say, the stories behind the studies, you know, there's an entire ecosystem around mental health research that's worth listening to and worth, you know, hearing and sharing. And today is a bit of a new aspect um, to that ecosystem as far as this show is concerned, which is human rights, human rights advocacy. So this week we host Simon Cattell, who is fresh from a legal battle uh, with the Mental Health Complaints Commission of Victoria in Australia. Um, Simon advocates for improved mental health and community services by promoting human rights, co-design and consumer leadership across all aspects of service planning, delivery and evaluation. He runs a consultancy company and by the sounds of things, keeps himself very, very busy. This is a riveting episode, you know, if I do say so myself or a riveting conversation, it was at least for me. Um, as we walk through Simon's experience seeking information on a particular set of data that um, he believes will be extremely useful for mental health system improvement. Um, so he seeks the information, he's rejected, he launches or, or submits a freedom of information uh, request that's rejected. He appeals that rejection, which is successful. And now there's an appeal of the appeal. So it's a very serious topic, obviously. Uh, but Simon brings plenty, plenty of levity and fun to the conversation, which you know, I love. Uh, I'm sure there are two sides to the story. Um, but Simon is extremely transparent. He has basically kept all the receipts. Um, and he's, as we go through the episode, you know, he mentions a bunch of links that he'll make available and you'll find them all in the um, show notes. 
So if you're grabbed by Simon's cause, um, there's also a link to a petition um, that you can help support um, what Simon's up to. So in terms of the show, you can stay in touch on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on YouTube, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribing and making a, a, a and rating the show makes a huge difference, and thanks to those who have done that so far. Um, and we're planning a catch up for the researching happy community in a few weeks. And if you're keen on joining, um, let me know on LinkedIn. You can just message me. So thank you all, and welcome Simon. All right, so here we are with Simon Cattell. Is that hopefully I'm pronouncing that the right way? Cattell, Cattell. The second, I mean, they're both pretty good, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Um, I get, I get very weird ones. That was pretty close to the mark. Yeah. So thank oh, you. Trust mm. me, me too. I get all, yeah. all sorts, all over the place. Um, look, we've basically just met. I've been following what you've been doing online for for a little while there, and it seems, I mean, I just basically have a million questions, but it seems like very good work. So it'd be great just to quickly introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, thank you. No, I'm stoked to be here, Matt. Um, uh, so my name's Simon Cattell. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I'm here on Wurundjeri country. And um, I think, I guess, a lot of the work that um, I assume you're not talking about all the cat um, photos I post, so you're probably talking more <laughs> about my mental health stuff. But um, I, I do a lot of work in, in mental health around the intersection of mental health and human rights, mental health and yeah. governance, um, which can make people's eyes glaze over, but I reckon it's pretty interesting. Um, and uh, lived experience as it relates to, to mental health. So I've got my own lived experience of, of mental health issues of, of trauma. Um, I haven't had, uh, but a lot of my work actually focuses on involuntary treatment, and I haven't, I haven't had that experience. So um, yeah, I, I, I sort of navigate between. Uh, the personal and the professional, and I've worked in um, some roles where you you are sort of uh, designated. So it's a designated role for somebody with lived experience of distress, and and uh, you kind of intentionally work from that perspective. And as a a member of a broader community of people, um, often called the consumer community. Um, uh, so that's kind of that's where I'm situated these days. Hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I feel like um, my. My PhD supervisor, she was um, focused a lot about um, um, like forced restraint. So that sort of human rights lens, I, I heard, I sort of, you know, from afar watching her work, I sort of um, got to see a fair bit of that. And it's mm. uh, even with even just like human rights in general, I think it's not something that the average person really probably even knows much about. No. Is that, uh, do you find that? Yeah, I think, I think we, we, we're sort of... Uh... Uh, we can be pretty complacent here in Australia, um, yeah. but um, you know, if you look at most of the things that we care about and most of the failures of government or health in, in the last ten or fifteen years, often they've been human rights failures. You know, robot was a failure. You know, of human rights. Um, most of the things that happen in mental health units are a failure of human rights. Uh, we've got aged care and the treatment of older Australians, and that's yeah. a discrimination issue. So yeah. there's, there's, you know, I think a lot of the things that we end up caring about, um, you know, have a human rights element to it. So um, I think there's a once you sort of the value of human rights is they don't solve everything, but they give you a language and a framework yeah. to talk about the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And just as like worlds colliding, so someone that I work with, she does a lot of disability work, and um, her husband is like a um, an expert, I think, in in human right law. And so I think she had these kind of sectors overlapping, and she has worked a little bit with Piers Gooding, who I believe 
you've worked with a little bit. So yeah. I saw your name. Oh, it, it was kind of popping up everywhere. And then she handed me this report about, I think it's like human rights and AI, something cool like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. then I see your name there as well, along with Piers. So that was kind of nice. Yeah, I mean, Piers was very generous uh, in in putting uh, myself as uh, co-author. He did, you know, uh, sort of the massive lion's share of work. But it, it, I can say this being humble because I don't think, you know, this is primarily his work. It is an incredible piece of work. So it's called uh, Digital Futures in Mind. And it is about the human rights elements of a lot of the digital mental health things that are sort of creeping into our personal lives, which... Um, there's probably a real opportunity for, for growth, well-being, support. Um, but if it's done badly, it could go really badly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's um, just for people that are interested, I can put a link. I'm pretty sure it's a freely available download, right? Mm, I'll make yeah. a note to put that out as a link. Um, so this is definitely not a um, journalism sort of style show. We're not out there breaking news or anything like that. But you have a pretty amazing story and you happen to have just walked out of a court hearing. Am I correct? You've got the breaking news, Matt. Oh, it's this the breaking news. Yeah, 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 yeah cool. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah. no one has ever, ever accused me of being up to date on basically anything, <laughs> fashion or style or anything. Um, so this is probably the first time. So, I mean, can we just walk back a few steps? As yeah. I like, just as I've understood it, and this is really from afar, you wanted some data about something um you put in a freedom of information request that's been going on for probably a few years if i understand correctly and now somehow you've ended up being sort of sued from the person you're requesting data science. so it would be really interesting to hear this story yeah, absolutely. So um, it, I, I'm definitely involved in a, in a legal action at the moment. So it wouldn't be, um, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm not getting sued, but uh, so I'll give you the context uh, for it. So so I used to work at this place called the Mental Health Complaints Commission, and they sort of handle complaints about mental health services. So uh, they've got all these amazing and incredible powers um, uh, to, I guess, protect people's human rights. They were set up nine years ago. So I worked there for a little while and advised there for four years too. Um I guess when I, you know, my reflections are just generally are a lot more could be done for that to, to work effectively. Um, uh, you know, Meaning like receiving receiving um, complaints and, and actioning them? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've had 14,000 complaints and about $27 million in funding over that nine years. And they've actually never issued a single compliance notice to follow the law. So, um, okay. uh, so there's 14,000 complaints where we can't be totally certain that... Um, you know, uh, the outcomes are what they should be. And, and so the, the scary thing is, in that time, we know from the Royal Commission that there's been systemic breaches of human rights. So how do you square 14,000 and zero yeah. with systemic yeah. human rights on one end? So that's the kind of context. And I've, I've been doing advocacy, you know, largely outside that commission since I finished working there and I've finished advising there. And one of the things that's really important and one of the reasons the commission gives for why they don't use compliance notices, so that direction to follow the law, is they say, oh, well, when we make voluntary recommendations to services, they just take them up and fix them and do them right. immediately. Right. But they don't release those recommendations. Um, okay. So their recommendations about, you know, uh, or improve, um, you know, the way you provide culturally safe care by pr giving training and X, Y, Z, you know, really general kind of service level recommendations, or it might be, you know, if we were in a general hospital, I'm just making an analogy, um, you know, improve your infection control procedures to do blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. it's not 
you know, deal, I'm not asking for, nor did I claim, like, deal with Matt's problem with ABC treatment. That's personal information, not looking for it, not relevant. Um, but they didn't want to release that. Uh, we, are, we all asked in the sector for a long time, so I made it what's known as a freedom of information request. Um, they rejected the uh, release of those recommendations. I appealed to uh, the Office of the Victorian Information Commission, and so they're like, uh, they... I guess, review decisions about freedom of information. Okay. You'd have an equivalent there in South Australia. Um, and they found in my favour and said, you, you have to release those recommendations. Okay. Um, rather than do that, though, they've hired more lawyers. There's been a lot of lawyers involved already, but more lawyers um, to take it to, to court to, to appeal that decision. So we, you know, about 20 minutes ago, we just finished up our um, uh, VCAT hearing, the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal hearing, um, where we set out, I guess, um, what, how we're going to manage this court case over the next little period. It's probably going to be close to a year that we'll be sort of Seriously. going through this. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, I basically know nothing about the law or how any of these things work, but so sort of bear with me, but are you, so you're saying there's been 14,000 complaints. There have been no sort of mandated, um, what was the language you, sorry? Compliance, compliance Com notice. Yeah. Compliance yeah. notices. Yeah. They say there's been voluntary recommendations. Do you think there, you, you assume there have been some, you just want to see them. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah. Yeah. I think if, you know, so, so if we want to know where the system's working, you should be able to look at all of this. Like, this happens in lots of other areas. So this is strange that we're not releasing it. That's something to, to name. Uh, that it's strange that we're in this predicament. But so you know, other you should examples know. where the where th things like these yeah. are these voluntary recommendations are public. public. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, for example, our Victorian Ombudsman, every annual report, they just publish them and they also publish how much it's been implemented by each service, you know. Okay. Um, but that's a uh, so they, they do that uh, in relation to other human rights stuff. So, and I don't comes know. Out, like in a de identified way. So, it's not like um, we told yeah. this hospital to do this. It just says. Well, it says the hospital, but it. But it wouldn't. It would say it would say the hospital, but you wouldn't be able to identify Matt or Simon, you know, as right, the yeah, original complainants gotcha. through it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's useful because you, you, if you're if you're a patient in that hospital and something bad happens to you, maybe you 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 know they they use force when it wasn't appropriate to use force, or um, you got culturally, you know, like you experience racism in mental health care, or you're a trans person and that you know your um, your gender identity isn't isn't um, respected if they've already had recommendations about that issue in the previous year or two you know if you're making a complaint to the commission you would be saying look you've already done um, a recommendation so either they haven't implemented it like you said or in which case you not you need to enforce it or secondly maybe the recommendation was much good and let's come up with a better recommendation together mm. um but the problem is we don't know so we don't know where what's happening anywhere. So you're sort of walking in blind, and there's a risk that the same recommendations are being made to yeah. the same services right. for nine years in a row, and that we've never had a compliance notice. You know, mm. so um, that, the thing is, we're kind of all walking blind um, in terms of where the system is improving and not improving. Uh, it would just help us adapt yeah. better collectively, yeah, no, mm. for sure. And so, I mean, like, and let's just put it in the background of like mm. rates of mental. Uh, illness and health conditions continue to sky, you know, to rise. I won't say sky, yeah. to rise. Um, availability of services is harder and harder. So I guess yeah. you know uh, what I'm hearing you saying is we want to make sure, basically, for those who are able to access services, we want to make sure that they we want to make sure that they are 
compliant and doing the best job, not becoming the source of these 14,000 complaints, but we have no oversight over... And that's just exactly. Victoria as well, hey? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And so then what... So, I mean, like, sounds very reasonable. What is the defense against releasing this information? Um, so there's kind of two principal defenses. And, and uh, look, I can, um, uh, I can put the... the um, the decision letter from the commission up on the on my website and, and link to it in your show notes so that um, you know people can go and read that in more depth. Um, I'm I'm not a freedom of information lawyer, so I'm self represented in all of this stuff. So um, have you studied I, law or something before? Yeah, I've got a legal background, but like okay. you know, it's sort of like a doctor is like you know, um, uh, they can't be a surgeon and a psychiatrist at the same time. You know, like it's sure, um, sure. it's very generalist. So I, I sort of you know I'm sort of walking a bit blind, but I'll give you my interpretation. So there's two principal reasons they gave. So one was they've got secrecy provisions, which kind of operates like um, our mental health services go into this on the assumption that it's a secret process. Um, but the law says that, um, you know, there's essentially a public interest test. And, um, you know, should this be released on a public interest test? And okay. the information commissioner found um, that, uh, that it should be released on that basis. The, the second reason that, and I think this is a pretty bad faith reason, um, uh, and the one that should really set alarm bells, I think, for, for listeners. So the second reason they say is, it, it, you know, if Matt was the one who made a complaint, uh, it breaches Matt's privacy. And I sort of remember hearing that because we had, you know, we spoke about that in, in advance of their decision. And and I said, you know, like they tried to explain it to me. So if there's if there's thirty recommend what's the hospital nearest to you, um, uh, Matt? Uh, Flinders Uni, uh, Flinders yeah. Hospital. Sorry, so I'm sure Flinders Hospital is great, but let's use them as an example. So if there's sorry, thirty, Flinders. yeah, sorry, Flinders, this is all fictitious. Um, if there's been thirty recommendations, like general service improvement recommendations, um, that uh, have been made to Flinders for that year, they'll all be listed on the back page of this report that I'm seeking, right? So they're just listed thirty in a row, and one will be training for culturally safe care, the other one will be uh, infection procedures, whatever. Um, if Matt made a complaint and he, Matt didn't have culturally safe care, um, they're saying because Matt could see that recommendation and identify himself in it, no, nobody else could. Nobody else could. So um, right. no, no, none of your colleagues, right. nobody else in the world, literally nobody else in the world other than you and Flinders um, uh, Hospital could identify you from that. Because you can identify yourself, it's breaching your privacy. Um, uh, so the test is, can the person identify themselves? And I just said, but that literally no new people get that information as a consequence. The same people have the same right. amount of information. Um, and right. I said, well, we care, we care a lot about Matt's privacy. And um, I was like, well, maybe you should check with Matt and all the other people first, because I reckon they probably want that public. Um, and, and, yeah. that would, and that would then be, I mean, that would be the same standard of, like, is that a, Say you use the example before of of um, of um, of where this actually is publicly released. Yeah. Do they have that exactly. issue? Have they? They don't have that issue. No, exactly. Well, that's my point, right? Like, how do they get away with it? Um, yeah. Because okay. because Matt Matt made may have made a complaint to the ombudsman, and then the ombudsman do publish that uh, every year, and they detail the level of implementation and. You know, I don't. You know, we don't hear stories of Matt being so triggered by the annual reports of, uh, you know, of the Victorian Ombudsman and the privacy and whatnot. So <laughs> look, it's it's pretty bad of, faith. Yeah. yeah, the percentage of people who would even know that there's a report by the Ombudsman, yeah. maybe even they would even know that there is an Ombudsman. Like that, it's yeah. we're talking about a small percentage of people, and I, like I put myself in that category. Yeah. 
In I, I mean, I think you could make the opposite argument that you would be validated to see, oh, my complaint, I see that it was lodged and I can actually see that it's been followed up. Consistently, that's what people are saying. That is consistently right. what people okay. with lived experience are saying. So, you know, we've got a, a petition going at the moment where people who have made complaints are so dissatisfied that this stuff isn't happening. They're the ones who are saying, why hasn't there be, been a compliance notice? So they right. want to have a look at all the recommendations too. Right. Um, you know, so one of the things I said when we were in negotiation was if you think this privacy stuff really matters, maybe you should send it to your lived experience advisory group and get them to yeah. um, assess. Because I reckon if they were given the option, they would um, recommend that this stuff is, is public. And, um, you know, I, I just think it's it's a, it's a no-brainer that um, that this stuff needs to be public. So what it, what it might reveal, basically, is the recommendations haven't been very good um, for nine years. And, and that's okay. I mean, we're, we're, it's being rolled into a new commission that's going to start in about 10 days. It's an opportunity to reset. You know, yeah. so yeah, like some stuff didn't work. We didn't do, do great, but here's how we want to improve. So that's, I guess, why you're probably seeing a lot of advocacy from me is that actually now's the time to accept some learnings and to admit to, to some things that yeah, you can do and, better. Well, absolutely. And you think, what is this new commission? What, you know, like we want them to be empowered with the information. Would that would that report be available to them, do you think? Or Yeah, yeah. Well, they reappointed the same commissioners um, from the old one to oh, the new one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't know much about anything, but that doesn't seem like a new commission. No, no, no. But, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I, don't, I haven't checked like the, the branding guidelines or the color schemes, but, you know, that, that, that all could be new. But um, they did, that, there's, there's, they've gone from two commissioners, the two existing ones, to four. So there are two new ones, and um, I'm sure um, all, all are trying to do a good job, but it doesn't mean we can't do it better. So um, yeah. it, it, it's, there's, there's really simple ask here, which is just release the data, and then let's have a, a shared reflection on what's worked and what can improve. Those are yeah. pretty small asks. Okay, mm. and so are there are there um, like sort of like for like across the other states in terms of mental health complaints commissions, and do they publish their stuff? Well, that's the that's the um, I guess the interesting thing is Australia's and it got a very I mean you would find this working in public health and whatnot. It's a bit of a dog's breakfast with the with federalism in that we have like some stuff that's at the Commonwealth level, some stuff that's at state and territory level. So the punchline is every state has like a different commission with a com right. with a different powers and structures. Um, you know, the, everyone's got their own kind of flavour. Um, so Victoria has the one with like the coolest powers, but um, they've just never used them. People often say, oh, they don't have teeth. I'm like, they do. They just put a mouth guard in. Um, okay. But the other states and territories, they don't, like uh, um, South Australia, for example, they don't, they've got a mental health commission. But it doesn't really have any powers to to sort sure. of enforce uh, the law or handle complaints. Yeah, so it's different state to state, basically. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um, I yeah, I actually used to work with um, one of the commissioners. So, oh. uh, so yeah, but um, but so I wonder, like, and I've never heard this aspect of their work. I don't think they have a complaints no. commission within no. their team, and I'm wondering whether that means we just don't <laughs> like. What do we do with all those complaints? I've no idea. I think so. What tends to happen Sorry across to, the other states and territories? On my state. No, no, no. I'm, I've been looking into this a lot, and I know a lot of other state and territories are reaching out because I think we've actually got the model right in terms of the powers. We just need to actually have a bit more courage to use them. And, and it's not just about powers, it's about 
you know, being smarter about how we how we do all this stuff. But um, essentially, I think you, you, you would have a health complaints body, like a generalist okay. health complaints body, and the mental health just, just rolls into that. But there's real differences. Like, there's basically not many other areas of healthcare where you get your rights taken away in such a profound way as you do in mental health. And so um, that was the argument for the creation of the Mental Health Complaints Commission uh, nine years ago was that, um, well, we actually need a specialist body with, with sufficient powers and expertise to uh, protect people's rights. And so I think there's definitely an argument for other states and territories having yeah. um, would you, a would specialist body. Would you mind giving body. a couple of examples of what they might look like? Because, you know, this has predominantly been a happiness, you know, sort of a positive psych lens um we're yeah. really um big advocates and it's the topic of my whole phd was um the dual continuum model of mental health so i don't know if you've heard of that before but basically how well-being and mental you know, mental well-being is related to mental illness and mm. and and mental health conditions um you know basically saying they're not the opposites um mm. which which i think plays into sort of like personal recovery ideas that you might be more familiar with yeah um but you know so the point is we don't want to just have it you know just focus on happiness yeah. Um, could you? Yeah. Could it would be great to hear a couple of examples uh, of, of like complaints that that, that might crop uh, up, of or like where more... you would. No, if people don't have an image in their mind of what do you mean by human rights being taken away uh, in yeah, mental yeah. health care that you yeah. might not see in other types of healthcare. Yeah, of course, of course. I mean, so if you uh, if if I was uh, behaving uh, a way that you sort of think is strange right now, somebody you know. You could call a mental health clinician um, or the local mental health service, um, depending on the numbers that they have around the state. And um, every state and territory has mental health laws of some description. And someone could come out here to, I'm in my co-working space, and this, this happens, where someone could come out here and do a mental health assessment on me. And they might um, decide that I have a, a mental health issue and that uh, maybe I'm at risk to myself or someone else and that they therefore need to detain me. Um, and so what that would look like is, um, firstly, like strangers coming into my office um, or to my home or, or whatnot, um, I've never met them before, don't have any therapeutic relationship with them. Um, they don't really have anything, they don't know anything about me other than basic kind of collateral, you know, that's been given by, um, you know, maybe a family member or someone I, you know, someone I don't trust possibly. Um, then if I don't agree to go, the, you know, the police will come and, you know, potentially restrain, um, restrain you and or restrain me if I was the person being assessed. Um, you know, people get taken away in a police, um, uh, you know, a police car or be, they might be physically restrained and strapped to a bed. Um, and so... Uh, you, you know, then you're taken to a mental health, you, you'd be given medication against your will. Um, and uh, when you get to the hospital, you usually get put in these like high dependency units or um, high intensity, there's different words, but essentially they're really closed environments. There's not much visual stimuli around. You might be put straight into seclusion, which is like solitary confinement. And that's a room basically with not much in it and you can't leave. Um, and, uh, you know, you might be having the worst time of your life emotionally, but then you're put in this pretty full-on situation too. Um, you're surrounded by other people who might be in a lot of distress and might be just as confused as, as you are, um, uh, you know, and, and you might have a, 
a forced injection of some description um, uh, put into you, which heavily sedates you as well. And again, you, you probably haven't been involved in the decision-making process at any point in that continuum or, or those events. And so you can imagine what your therapeutic relationship is with the, the people involved at that point too. And we don't have laws like that, that allow that in, you know, podiatry. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, and I could, I could sort of go, you know, agree to disagree, miss, Mr. or Miss Podiatrist, um, you know, and we go our separate ways. But me disagreeing with the podiatrist in mental health is actually evidence that I lack insight sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you kind of get caught in this double bind where your disagreement is evidence that you're wrong in the first place. And, um, uh, you know, I can give you examples of things that have happened in mental health units um, uh, that, that are really quite shocking. Um, but that's just... Uh, probably the, the very common way in which people yeah. are involuntarily taken into the system. Yeah, wow. Okay, so yeah, I'm hoping that's, um, you know, that's painting a, a very, I, th I think it did, paint a very clear mm. picture of what this can look like. Um, again, I guess it's not something that necessarily lots of people would be exposed to. It's, it's not, it's not no. you know, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how commonly these sorts of things are, are occurring in a day-to-day -day basis, like in the state of Victoria, yeah. but... Well, I mean, we, we use a lot of force in Victoria. So our systems, uh, I often say our system's so bad, we have to force people to use it a lot. Um, and so the, 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 I think it is, you know, it doesn't happen to a lot of people, but every, we all probably know somebody, um, whether or not that's public or not, who's, sure. who's had some, one of these experiences. The other thing to note, though, is they're closed environments. So, you, um, you know, they're literally locked wards, so you can't en enter and leave. You know, you can't really get media in there um, too easily. Um, and so the re one of the other reasons we don't know is that, um, like, you, there's not actually that much information that gets out of, out of uh, locked wards. And so... Um, I don't mean to, to scare people um, uh, unnecessarily, but there are real real issues in these mental health units. And when you talk to people who've um, been detained within them, they, there's a lot of consistency about the, the kinds of themes yeah. of, of experiences of power and control yeah. in the mental health system. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I have to admit, I like that you're able to weave in a couple of jokes for such a heavy, heavy topic. Obviously, I <laughs> see that you don't take it lightly, but um, mm. it does help. So you say that other states have health complaint bodies. Like, have you tried yeah. almost like, I'm imagine I've been watching like Suits recently. So again, it's like <laughs> wrong, <laughs> wrong example. But, you know, like building precedents, like, you know, I went yeah. to South Australia and their health complaints, um, they, they were happy to publish this. Like, why can't, you know, Excellent. Why can't we do that in Victoria? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, we've got the priest, we've got the ombudsman, we've got all the all, all the bodies here in Victoria that do it. So yeah, I mean, but like that's, specifically for mental health, say I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, not really, because um, you know, they, basically, I don't think the other health complaints bodies would disaggregate. Well, there'd be a lot of effort for them to s disaggregate that data because they're not because they're generalists, you know. So um, they would have the podiatry complaints, the you know, right. but, um, all of the other ones and. Um, they wouldn't, you know, uh, neuroticize over the mental health complaints like I do because there's a specialist body for that. So um, I probably could, we could, probably could go to some of those in other states and territories. Um, uh, I know other colleagues that, that are working in New South Wales and, and, and WA are certainly starting to think about this uh, a lot more. Um, but realistically, we're, we're kind of at the start of this, this journey in terms of raising yeah. awareness um, rather than close to the end, yeah. Oh, it's really interesting. And so you've just walked out of... So I said that they were suing you. That was not correct, obviously. 
um, slightly sensationalist. I, I've been a journalist for about 25 minutes <laughs> and I'm already making up stuff. Um, so it's a, it, this is their appeal to your original, to your appeal? Is that? Well, no, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I made an application, they said no, then I appealed that to the information commissioner and then the commissioner found in my favour and they said, oh, no, no, we're going to appeal that. So um, okay. so now we're we're at VCAT. Hopefully we can resolve it at VCAT, the, the administrative tribunal, because the next stop is the Supreme Court, which could get very expensive for everyone involved. Mm. Yeah, right, okay. And so you've just walked out of something, but do you have like a an indication of how it's going? You sort of said it's going to take a year or something. Yeah, I, I mean, every, our courts are really under-resourced here in Victoria. I'm yeah, sure it's probably, yeah, I'd probably. sort of, I don't want to, yeah, I feel like it's they're under-resourced everywhere. So um, uh, so I reckon it'll be at least a year. That We had what's called a directions hearing, and I'm telling you this stuff in real time as I learn a lot of this, because I studied law and I write a lot on human rights and mental health, but funnily enough, that was my first time um, in anything resembling a, a courtroom, so I was, I was okay. a nervous little little bunny. Um, uh, but uh, I think it'll go for about a year. I think it'll go for about okay. a year. That was just setting directions. So literally just, um, we're not going to hear your arguments. And I even slipped into making an argument, and they're like, we're not, we're not here for that, Simon. <laughs> um, and, and it was about just figuring out how we're going to um, figure out a timeline to sort this case out. So okay. yeah, right at the beginning. Yeah, yeah interesting. And so... Like, how long has it been going from the start? I think you sent me a Guardian article. I thought that was like from 2015 or something. How long has this been? Well, so there's, there's, you know, the commission started in 2014, July 2014. Okay. So they've been around for nine years. Um, they started making these reports that um, contain all of their recommendations in about 2017, 2018. I know because I helped design them. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. So, yeah, that's one of the, the parts about being in the public sector is you end up knowing where all the skeletons are buried. But, um, you know, the um, so I, I, I thought very early on, we just this stuff needs to be public. It's not yeah. like, you know, it's not that sensationalist. It's just about where the, the system's, you know, doing well and where it needs to improve. Um, so... Uh, yeah, it's, we've been asking for a few years, myself and other people. Um, the Royal Commission actually recommended service level data. So it said, like, to drive better performance, you need to, you know, um, publish service level data. Because if you kind of keep it all general, then the lowest performing ones can cut, you know, free ride on the, you know, the, the benefits of the best performing ones. Right. Um, right. So, you know, having, having a, uh, just having transparency um, yeah. can allow people in, you know, we've got Warrnambool, um, which is a small town near the, the border with South Australia, um, you know, it can help um, people in that area know where their specific hospital yeah. ranks r relative to others, but also where it needs to improve, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, for, the, for example, I'm making this up, but there could be something about, you know, culturally safe care out there. And then the local Aboriginal community and leaders could, you know, connect with the hospital. And um, if that was publicly known, there's a lot more that could be done, you know, to, yeah. to help improve the system. Yeah. Okay. And like, this might be a completely dumb question. I'm more than happy for you to tell me that but so you're i'm imagining like they give you this excel spreadsheet where it's like column is almost like not name because you don't want names but some some identifier that some individual like me if i had done a complaint there's something about it that i could recognize in myself there about yep. myself but then yep. there's the service provider and then there's i guess whatever the complaint was and then how well they've sort of met that um that voluntary recommendation mm can't we just delete that first column? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, does it have to be any information at all about the complaint complainant? 
Well, there's not like that's the weird thing is there's not even in the so so I I've ever what the I'll I'll make an example document available for for your readers so um, that I. I FOI'd at the start of last year and I got the whole report. They just redacted the, the box where the recommendations are. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and so um, it's just like, it's like, it, there's no like secret source here. There's just dot points with, that says, you know, Flinders University. Uh, it, it'll, it'll just say, because well, it's all in that report, it'll be yeah. all Flinders University recommendations. And just in there, there would be one dot point that says, you know, um, uh, undertake training on cultural safety for. Uh, mental health nurses in the inpatient unit, the next dot point will say, uh, review policies and procedures so that um, the least restrictive care is provided sure. on admission. So let's keep picking on Flinders, even though yeah. um, we've had excellent <laughs> care <from> there. <laughs> yeah. um, my son was born there. It was a very good job. Uh, but yeah. um, uh, say, say, let's say we, we went there and I, I had a complaint about restricted mm. practice. Mm. And then the report comes out. You've you've got it from Freedom of Information. It comes out. Mm. Mm. How do I know that I'm not one of ten people that made that complaint? Like well, just to, in terms of like me identifying myself, it's a ridiculous thing to say. I, I the way you said, it, I thought it maybe it says like a thirty year old male put in a complaint about this in in January. No, so you'll get so it's, so it's you... just institution and what the recommendation was. Yeah. So, so you, when you close your complaint, um, unless they've changed all of the forms and stuff, you'll get a decision letter and it'll have like, you know, uh, Matt, this is all the stuff that's happened. This is how we assessed your complaint. Clearly, all this stuff is really personal. Um, uh, and then at the bottom, it will just say, to close your complaint, we've made three recommendations. And let's say the first two of those are actually a really personal ones. So it's like, you know, um, meet with, uh, you know, Flinders agrees to meet with Matt to apologize okay. for this, okay. that, and the other, you know. Um, and then the third one, it just says review policies and procedures to pr ensure least restrictive care um, at the point of admission. It's just that third one that's represent that's already represented in this box, um, in this report. They don't put the other ones in that box um, uh, to the back because this is reported back to the service, um, and and the service gets this report at the end of each year, and it's just so the Flinders gets to pick it up and go, oh yeah, so what were the twenty thirty recommendations we had to improve? Oh okay, here they are. Like that's sure. that's the function of the box, you know? Yeah. All right, I'm trying to for, I'm for trying... the for, for the listeners. Matt's eyes yeah. just rolled into the back of his head, which is very affirming for me. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. I don't want to put yeah. words into your eyes, but that's what I said. No, anyway. that's okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean there will yeah. be video yeah. as well released, but um, mm -hmm. I, I guess what I'm trying to in what with my journalist hat on, it's not. I don't know how good of a job I'm doing so far, but it's like, you know, let's give a steel man argument to their mm. issue. You know, like so they. Absolutely. If they have these two points, well, one's already been ticked off by the public health commissioner, so I'm yeah. not even going to go there. I will, mm. I will appear to the appeal to the power of the commissioner. Yeah. But the second is about the anonymity, and I'm just not hearing it. Like, what could there possibly, what could there possibly be there? Uh, look, I, 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 this, and especially because the, it's the, like the fault won't even lie on them anyway. Like, you know, you might think to yourself, oh, they're trying to protect themselves. It's got nothing to do with them. They're, they're no. No. Well, the commissioner, the, the information commissioner ordered them to do it. So, like, nobody can, like, I mean, I'm not here to provide legal advice, but, like, you know, if you were a, if you were the commission um, and somebody said you violated my privacy by publishing that, I don't know why anyone ever would do that, but um, for the reasons that we've spoken about, if you were the commissioner, you'd say, well, we were ordered to do that by the right. information commissioner. So, um, right. we were just doing what we were told. So, um, clearly, like, 
the you know the punchline here, folks, is that they've not made good recommendations for nine years, um, and they don't want us to see them. Um, okay. And so, uh, you know, that's you know just front up. Let's learn. Let's learn from it. Um, uh, and we've got a new commission starting soon, and it's you know a few of the same people. That's fine. Um, but let's just learn and get better. I just yeah. I find it bizarre. I find it bizarre. They're back. They're painting themselves into a corner here, which we don't need to do. Yeah. yeah okay. And so you, you. So in a way, actually, there is something that they have to lose. In a way, which is that you're almost saying the recommendations themselves that they are giving might not be that good. So in a way, there is something sort of to yeah. hide, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's that's, how would, that's possible. You... That's possible. That's possible. I should yeah, yeah. say. Oh, sorry. sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. No, that's... no, no. I mean, I, I sounded way more certain than I was there. But sure. in the absence sorry. of it, in the absence of it being published, I mean, and when it would we probe, yeah, and when we probe the reasons given, they don't stand up very well. So your your mind does turn to other possibilities. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Mm. All right. And mm. so, how would you? evaluate a good or a bad recommendation you know like would do you do you have to i would imagine you'd want to like do you think you can look at this list and say like that's a good one that's a bad one how would you actually evaluate it if you had it i think i think it's a really good question and and and, and um uh that's I, I suppose the value of that is it's a collaborative exercise right so mm. who am i to to reflect on cultural okay. safety right okay. like i'm a i'm a uh, uh, you know, what's this dude? Um, and um, I, I don't have lived experience of the relevant issue, but having that stuff done publicly, you could, you, you would have um, Aboriginal health experts, local Aboriginal community leaders, uh, be able to look at that and say, no, I reckon, you know, well, don't don't change the policies and procedures. That won't do anything. Bring, you know, make them pay to bring us in to do a, um, right. you know, to do training over six months to, you know, to provide, you know, an understanding of the needs of the local Aboriginal community yeah, or, yeah, you know, okay. if it's you. if it's about a human rights issue, you might sort of say, well, actually, this isn't a policies and procedures problem. Uh, we should really be sort of having a look at the culture within the organisation mm. and uh, look at some of the power imbalances between um, clinicians and people yeah. who use the services. You know, you can kind of, you, you would sort of know this in healthcare systems, like the policies and procedures are, you know, they're not the thing that drive culture. It's it's leadership sure. and things like yeah. that. And the recommendations yeah. could far more meaningfully, um, so it's not just compliance notices. I often sure. say the 14,000 number because that's what everyone's going to remember. Yeah. But really, the, the, the stuff that will get the change is, is you know, in your areas of public health specialty, getting you involved in the in it to have a look at those recommendations and give feedback. People in other areas of expertise, and the, the the benefit is if you actually are a commission that wants to do things, you're getting all this free labour out there from the community who are yeah. participating in the process. So it's, yeah. it's if you want to do if you want to achieve what you're required to achieve, it's a win. It is sure, a win. Sure, sure, mm. and I can imagine there's like a benefit of in a way. Uh, not, I'm not going to call it a benefit, but if you get this data and let's, you know, fingers crossed for your sake, mm. you get it, mm. or not just for your sake, but mm. for the sake of Victoria, mm. um, you, I, could could you go this far as to say like, you know, you, you say like, I'm just thinking still in the way of evaluating a recommendation, you know, it's like in 2017, you made this recommendation, they actually fully um, actioned that recommendation, except the complaints kept happening. Yeah, exactly. So therefore it wasn't, 
you know, it, exactly. it wasn't a solution. That recommendation clearly wasn't a You know, can exactly. you go to that level of sort of evaluation? Well, that, no, that's exactly the level that you would go to. And then you would have, like, people like yourself who would be able to – you would be able to pick up the data and you're like, I'm so bad at quantitative methods. Um, uh, but you would be able to do some, you know – this, this is where I'm really looking forward to you correcting me, actually. But, you know, you'd be able to do some regression analysis of how certain things predict other things and, um, you know, oh, well, these, these recommendations – the policies and procedures recommendations um, did not materially Im- impact whether the yeah. same number of recommendations occurred afterwards, but training and culture-focused ones did. Or you know, mm. this like the, we could generate so much more meaningful um, uh, data and interpretation out of that process um, if it was just made available. And the value of rec- of complaints. You know, you, you would see this all the time in public health. It's like, you know, some report goes out there and it just sits on a shelf. Like there's a Auditor General's report or some inquiry report into this, that and the other. The benefit of a complaint is it's a very tight feedback loop in the sense of okay. you, you go right into the culture, you go right into where it's happening and you essentially are having an experiment about how to fix it and how to change the underlying conditions sure. to prevent it from happening again. And maybe we do exactly what you say and we make a recommendation and I'm the commission and they implement the four things and it, and it doesn't solve it. And so then we trial and error, we try to do something else. Yeah. It's it, it allows for much more iterative um, you know, recommendations development as well. Um, but we just, for all we know, they've just made the same recommendations for nine years yeah, in a row. Right, yeah. And I think you've made a good point there where you say, actually, there's all this, you know, what? how big could the Mental Health Complaints Commission be? How, how many people would it be? Like, are we talking 50 30, people, 30, 10 people? 30, yeah, right. 30, so that, yeah. that's what I guess my point is like, you've got 30 people doing a fair bit of work. I mean, 14,000 complaints. Mm. And it's almost, like you say, they're actually doing it in a closed loop when actually that mm. could be an open loop getting expertise from all over the place. Um, exactly. Yeah, interesting. Okay, and so with the law, uh, with the this um, this um, appeal, mm-hmm. is it like the Mental Health Commission versus Simon? Like, is that how it reads or are you representing somebody or how does it kind of look? No, no, yeah, my name's uh, up in headlights. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's Simon Cattell versus Mental Health Complaints Commission, which it, just, okay. it, sounds, pretty, it sounds pretty funny, doesn't it? Um, uh, but yeah, the title yeah, no, of a book for sure. Yeah, well, I am writing a book at the moment. So oh, cool. um, if, if, you, if you're listening, Commission, this is, uh, this is all going to be in <laughs> this there. This is chapter two. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's chapter two. Um, so, uh, you know... It's um uh, and like I do with all of my writing, I'll send them a draft version in advance so they can provide a comment. Um, nice. So, uh, you know, I think that it, 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 it'll be myself. But realistically, there's so many other people, so many other people who have made complaints that are contacting me, um, saying that they need this to be addressed. And um, it's people like yourself or people who signed the petition that are really sort of um, building a bit of momentum about the need to to think critically about this. Yeah, okay. And so if people want to support this or support you, what what kind of things what could we be doing? I would say I would say two things. Um if you I would say one specific thing which is you know please sign the, the petition and share it with um uh, share it with your friends and family even if you're outside of Victoria um what happens here will set a precedent for what's expected elsewhere I sort of yeah. I was at a conference last week in Adelaide and and you know spoke about the fact that if we get some wins in in our context we'll be able to generalize that uh, across the country so that'd be the first thing is sign the petition and share even if you're not um, inside Victoria I suppose 
suppose the second thing I would say is if you're somebody who identifies as having lived experience of, um, of mental health issues um, or you want to be an ally to somebody who does, join your local uh, peak body as a member. So every state and territory has a peak representative body for people with lived experience. And they do, they, they, they've often been around for possibly decades um, uh, and have done advocacy around human rights for a really long, long period of time. And, uh, you know, they're under-resourced, um, but, um, you know, they're, they're saturated and rich in his, history. So I'd recommend joining that either as a member if you've got lived experience or if there's some other way you can sign up to their newsletters. So yeah. um, South Australia's got one. It's called Leland. I yeah, can't remember Leland, what it stands yeah. for. Yeah, they're great. Um, but there's different ones across every state and territory. Yeah, cool. There you go. All right, perfect. And so let's... Uh, I mean, spewing you were in Adelaide. That would have been nice uh, yeah. to catch up anyway. But... Um, Tell me about the conference because it was it was like the mental it was like MHS is it mental health services conference I saw it on Twitter but I couldn't yeah, figure out yeah. what it was and I think the only thing more contentious than this court case is whether you pronounce it themes or thems so um, there's the mental health services conference oh, but okay. but but it's like you know as as you know since time immemorial some some people have been calling it themes and others thems so. I'm a I'm a themser, um, so I uh, I was there. It, luckily, the theme this year, or the themes this year, was um, uh, making rights real. So it's, this was okay. very timely. Um, so I was fortunate to see um, some uh, incredible speakers, including some former UN special rapporteurs, um, and and I was fortunate to give a couple of talks myself too. Mm. Yeah, and no, I saw some people. Um like I say, you've just been popping up everywhere, man. Like I saw a people, a couple of people, write Like that you, you gave a very powerful, um, presentation with lots of, you know, sort of, I think they wrote something like, um, yeah, I guess eye opening ideas. Do you mind sort of going into what, what you were sort of talking about in the conference? Yeah. I mean, I tell you I reckon the one that people really, um, gelled with and I'm, uh, the, why, the why, reason I'm leaning into this is because it's uh, not my work; it's someone else's. Um, uh, is uh, I did a, I did a conference uh, that sort of we've got a consumer day, so it's sort of a lived experience day, um, and I was fortunate to do the sort of morning keynote for that. And uh, I spoke a bit about power, uh, and so within mental health, for all the reasons that you you know we were talking about earlier, there's pretty significant power imbalances between um, people who use services and and um, governments or mental health service providers um, and I think that's really important to acknowledge um, and there's power imbalances also in terms of hierarchies within a service so um, you know psychiatrists are, you know generally speaking considered the most powerful both culturally and legally and pay wise and then you know often at the bottom of the peer workers the people with lived experience who who work in there and we talk about power imbalances between the professional um, groups as well anyway my talk was saying Look, we, we do need to acknowledge those power imbalances, um, uh, but we also need to actually start to try to build our power. Um, so let's let's move from just if we acknowledge it too much and leave the, finish the conversation there, we just we will um, you know get caught in a trap of reifying or solidifying those power relations. So let's think of actually how do we consciously build our power, not for any kind of malevolent purpose, but because we want to build a system that yeah. we would want to use. Um, and so we talked a bit about that and I, I, I 
picked up work from uh, someone who I don't think you've interviewed, but is the coolest person ever, is Pro uh, Professor Sharon Friel. Um, I don't. She's um, uh, she used to be the she is sorry the um, the head of the Menzies Health Governance Institute, which okay. is out of the ANU, and she. Um, uh, and, a, and a bunch of colleagues um, came up with this health equity power framework. So how power shapes health policy um, from, um, you know, and, and the influence of neoliberalism, um, you know, sort of ecological harms, uh, um, patriarchy, um, you know, colonialism, and uh, a whole range of other forces and how they shape different types of powers and different spaces in which power operates. And so I did a very poor man's um, interpretation of that as it applies to um, to mental health and then what we can action from that. Yeah, um, cool. And so I think that really resonated with people. Yeah. Great. Are you able to share some of the sort of the actions? Well, I suppose you, you sort of... Too? Well, I'd like, so... I think I will. I will trust that maybe the the um, podcast gods will allow um, Professor Friel to, to perhaps okay. talk to you one day. Cool. Um, and yeah. and I'm sure um, we've written stuff together. She, she would okay. um, delight in, in correcting me too, because um, I uh, she, uh, we've got a good relationship. Um, so I'll let her correct anything I say over the next um, minute or two. But um, not that she needs my permission either. Um, but the. She, uh, she talks about a lot of the different sources of power. So, you know, um, that there can kind of be like um, uh, economic power. So, you know, certain economic groups can shape policy. And you think yeah. of the mining companies, right, and how they shape yeah. our environmental yeah. policy sure. and the health impacts of that, right? Like yeah. um, you can talk about like uh, there's different um, – I'd sort of have to bring it up in front of me, but physical power, so like being physically stronger um, and having the ability to physically actually – impose force upon people like the police um uh there's di like a range of different sources of power yeah. and so you could assess where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are um and when you're thinking about the power that holds the system in place what do you need to address um to, right. to build your sources of power um and maybe challenge some of their sources of power um to try to sort of address the underlying you know power or political conditions that are allowing things okay. to stay in place yeah. Okay, cool. And so have you applied that sort of framework to your scenario? Is that, is that an unfair yeah, I mean, question? I, I think, no, absolutely. I think so. And I mean, the, the best work is done collaboratively. So, um, you know, uh, I think um, uh, I'm still learning like everyone is, um, uh, you know, but in this space. But for me, yeah, I think so. I think, you know, in the couple of years since I've started doing consulting, I've try to be really consciously build the power with my little bits of power, build the power of the consumer movement, which is that lived experience movement I spoke about. So you heard 10 minutes ago, my recommendation was to go join your local peak. Sure. And that's me That's me intentionally saying, yeah. okay, listeners, um, these are the experts you need to listen to. This is the body. Um, build the cultural power of that organisation in South Australia and Queensland and, and whatnot. Um, so that's, you know, an example of that. You know, trying to build connections over time um, with, uh, you know, uh, with media so, so that you can um, uh, tell your story. So you would have seen around this... Um, this work on the commission is that the media have covered it. That didn't come out of um, out of nowhere. I had spent a lot of time building connections, trying to find ways that 
the media would find this and the community would find this stuff interesting because sure, I could talk yeah. black and blue about regulation and how cool it is from my perspective. Um, but, um, you know, it will put other people into a coma. And so I um, need to needed to sort of refine refine that and, and build relationships with media that could safely tell people's stories too because it's actually not a safe process sometimes to, yeah. to, to, to yeah. tell your story and tell people's story. And... Um, you know, uh, it's about working in networks too. So trying to make sure, you know, um, we're working in concert where, you know, you can be an ally to someone else um, um, and they can be an ally to you and you're building shared values and norms as you're going. Um, so one of the other things I'm doing at the moment is I'm, I'm interviewing some people tomorrow um, who are um, uh, consumer academics. So they're academics that specifically work from their consumer lived experience yep. perspective and part of that is me just using the privilege and power i have to platform which is what you're doing man um privilege and power uh, i have to platform the work of um consumer academics who are often not understood within the wider population and so um that's an example of me trying to intentionally build the power of that movement so it's not necessarily about personal power all the time sure, it's about sure. this kind of movement building yeah. yeah, cool. That's interesting. Uh, very, yeah, I guess I, I always just I always just want concrete examples, I guess, and that was very concrete, so that's very useful. Yeah. So in terms of we've kind of, you know, we haven't learned a bunch about you, I don't think, so far. We've kind of heard yeah. this specific story, but mm -hmm. I, I'm wondering if you could almost paint a picture of like what is in your sort of, um, uh, what would you call it? Like I guess your focus area, you know, what mm -hmm. is, what is the... Uh, what does the ideal scenario look like? You know, what is it that you're mostly, obviously there's the sharing of the informations and the requests and stuff, but is yeah. there, is there more to the picture? Cause obviously this is like a specific yeah. part of your life. It's not the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I suppose in terms of broadly speaking, I think that we, uh, the way we approach mental health is a consequence of, um, of a set of, uh, historical decisions and legacies yep. and interests yep. that um, yep. you know have created a system that works for basically or partially works for basically everyone except the people who use it um, and so um, you know for me uh, the, the foundational question is um, you know how do we create systems and that's not just mental health systems that's broader sure. um, no, you know social policy yeah. you, you i mean that's totally um the whole well-being kind of um, approach to things isn't it to not medicalize it and uh you know how do we create systems that just let people live the life that they want to live um mm -hmm. including whether they have distress or not but hopefully we can prevent the trauma that yeah. underlies that distress and so for me, um, you know, uh, I think having things like, you know, well-being framework around our um, budgets, you know, that's a useful starting point. I think baking human rights into the way that we um, make policy at the very beginning. So, like, as soon as you're starting to do something, you think about, well, what's a, what, what's a, how do we do this in a non-discriminatory way? How do we do this in a way that, um, you know, uh, is culturally safe or uh, meets the needs of trans and gender diverse, um, you know, folk? Um, Front-ending that stuff from the very beginning, I think that sort of, it's like an early intervention strategy um, to try to bake human rights in early so it doesn't sort of metastasize into like big human rights issues down the track um, in a hospital. But, you, you know, you do that, you, um, 
you know, the people who are heads of, of, of services are often ideally people with lived experience who've gone through services. Um, you know, and then when we come to having human rights issues, which um, are a product of mental health laws that we have, so we have discriminatory mental health laws that don't occur in other areas of healthcare. Um, uh, my 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 view, and this is the view of the UN um, of the United Nations, and um, really should be the view of Australia because we signed up to the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. Is we need to actually abolish compulsory mental health treatment, um, and, and so you know we need to be moving in that direction um, and trying to move in. It seems almost unimaginable um, at mm-hmm. the moment, um, but. Most of the big challenges we face in the world and that we've previously faced seemed unimaginable until we, um, you know, took those first steps towards it. So, I think you would be trying to uh, to change laws so that we're moving away from that. And in the meantime, you're using complaints and bad experiences to actually take us further towards that goal. So we want to get rid of force. So how do we use Matt or Simon's bad experience in a way to prevent it happening to the next person? You know, so I won't close a complaint um, into that mental health service until I'm satisfied that um, I've addressed to the best of all our collective ability the underlying conditions that led to that use of uh, use of force. And if you do that, if you have like, like a never complaints, quote unquote, never complaints approach to never again complaints, sorry, never again complaints um, approach to things, then um, you can use complaints to really try to um, change systems, you know, in quite a profound way. Um, and it's different, you know, you've got some books on the shelf behind you. It's different to the reports that just end up on a shelf because, you you know, you're changing it in real time, in trial and error, and you've got the powers to just direct services to potentially do it. Now, what you might find at the end of that, which is what you talked about earlier, is, you you know, we might do everything we can and some, stu- some bad stuff still happens because there's the systemic drivers. Then, then we talk about that. Then we talk about that. Then the commission talks to government and says, you know, your, your welfare system is, is pipelining people into the mental health system um, uh, because they're not getting enough housing or they're not getting, you know, getting enough this, that and the other. But we're so far from that conversation because we're not even dealing with the, the complaints we have uh, particularly well. There you go. All right. Well, that's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, so you've got your work ahead of you basically. <laughs> Well, we all do. We all do. We all I do. Think, yeah, you're right. Yeah, we all do. Yeah, you know. Sorry, and I yeah, think a lot of you all. No. Out to everyone else to do <laughs> yeah, the job. Yeah, and yeah. I'll just watch from the sidelines. <laughs> no, no, that's the thing. I think a lot. You know, listening to some of your, um, uh, uh, the people that you've interviewed in this podcast, there's so much to add there. That if we if we integrate an approach to well-being and positive psychology, at the outset of our uh, our social policy, you know, demand on mental health services will drop quite dramatically and and I think we I don't know how much this comes up in, in your podcast but I think there's a there's a downside to how much we're framing everything as a diagnosable mental health issue because we it sucks everything into the mental health system rather than treating it as you know other failures of social policy that w- that we can address you know and so um, yes. yeah I think that we need to think a bit more critically about you know how we're medicalizing everything um, yeah, yeah I, I sometimes talk about well-being as like the worst sales pitch of all time because it's like if we just focused on well-being we'd solve everything you know yeah, that's yeah, not a yeah. good sales pitch yeah. but I do also kind of believe it and I think yeah. there's a fair bit of evidence um, sort of stacking up on that side of things but uh, totally 
Yeah, I think, I, I, as I understand, you sort of listened to um, the Nancy Hay episode recently, and I think yeah. she said it so well, which was just that there is no department, you know, no one no one has this responsibility. So no. do you have a, did that did that bring up anything for you, this idea of like, because like I say, I, I know nothing about government, I know nothing about law, but what would you, what would you like to see? Well, I think, I mean... Is it just collaboration or between departments or is it a new department? Yeah, I mean... I, do, I think we're at the start of, um, of some of those... Well, I, I'm at the start of some of those conversations. I'm pretty sure Nancy is, you know, um, 10 or 20, 30 years into that conversation. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but um, uh, what I would say is that there's, there's examples of it going... Uh, of early steps being made. So we've got the um, measuring what matters framework in the Commonwealth government's budget papers. I mean, the, the mental health data was like six years or something out of date but um you know there's there's positive signs there don't know how we're going to improve well-being while we do the stage three tax tax cuts and gut our welfare system of the money it needs to do things but you know so that's an example of what we shouldn't be well one thing we should be doing and then an example of what we shouldn't be doing um in victoria one of the things that we're we're doing that's really exciting and i was fortunate to work on was um we've got a, a monitoring and outcomes performance framework the actual title of it's like 75 times longer than that and i never remember it. But I, I was fortunate to come on there as a as a consultant, um, and I can't I can't talk too much about the details of, of it, other than because it hasn't um, been released. But other than to say that, um, you know, it doesn't just focus on the mental health system; it focuses on the drivers and measuring, you know, measuring the performance of government against a whole bunch of broader drivers um, uh, about distress and well being. You know, and particularly, are we helping people live the life they want to live? Um, not the life, you know, I prescribe someone to live, but the life that they want to live, you know, using those measures. So um, I think that um, there's there's exciting work underway. Um, I think people like Nancy and other people you interview will be much more sophisticated in their thinking on that. I just had a little little role, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. So listen, thank you so much for your time, Simon. This has been really great. I have one last question, and it's kind of a cheeky question, I have to admit. So, but I'll ask it anyway. In terms of like lived experience and consulting and things like this, I think like undeniably there's a place for it. But there is also sometimes I sense and I get the feeling from others around that there's a time when it goes too far Mm. when actually we forget that, you know, like if there's a a, a lived experience, um, uh, there's someone with lived experience. Like we've been doing this a little bit outside yep. of the mental health space in yep. actually um, breast cancer survivorship. Oh, yeah. And um, so something like totally different. Yeah. But they are individual experiences. And sometimes you hear of like, I, I, I don't know if you call it a horror story, but probably poor examples of practice where one person's experience, which is very specific to them, you yeah. know, guides the direction of a whole, you know, um, strategy or something. or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Would you say that that's that never happens, or like how do you how do we protect against this sort of thing? No, oh, totally, that totally happens for sure. Um, I mean, I can only talk about it in mental health. Um, I don't don't know you know much outside of that space. Um, but that's one of the things that the mental health space has done really um, well, but isn't very well understood. Um, and I use, you know, consumer lived experience intentionally, that word, because there's a consumer movement. Consumer, yeah. um, and, and so um, 
one of the issues and one of the things I'm actually interviewing those people about tomorrow is this distinction between lived experience and being like a, a consumer leader or, or, or working from a consumer perspective. And so if you're someone with lived experience in mental health issues, that's a unique experience that I've had. But actually, to be honest, my experience of the mental health system has been it's been all right. Like um, I sort of got things on my terms. Um, now, if we built out a system based on my lived experience, I probably wouldn't address that. We wouldn't address the needs of heaps of other people's um, issues and experiences of the system. So, yeah, I, you know, so so the way I approach and the way consumer perspective people approach is they, um, but behind them have a history of that consumer movement that's been going right. for 20, 30, 40 years, you know. And so, you know, there's lots of other movements like disability pride movements and whatnot. And so, you know, there's a there's a long, rich history at, at which people um, not slot into but form part of. And so a lot of the stuff I spoke to you about today is not my experience, but I'm, um, I guess I'm speaking in solidarity. And so... Um, the, what I would say is um, in mental health spaces, just ensure that that person has connection to their consumer community so that they can speak meaningfully, not just to their experience, um, unless that's all you want, unless that's all, you, uh, uh, not to minimize that, but unless that's, that, yeah. That, that would be specifically required, yeah. Exactly. But there's other times where, you know, you need to be able to use your experience, but step back and look at the, the, the experiences of that movement more generally um, and, and speak to that. And, and so there's, there's a real question of solidarity there, too. So are you speaking in solidarity with your, con, your consumer colleagues? And so um, uh, that would be that's a safeguard um, against what you're talking about. It's also a much more profound challenge to the system, too, because um, yeah. usually yeah. you're, you know, when I talk to you right now, I'm talking with the weight of a thousand voices, not speaking for them, but but in solidarity with them. Mm. Um, and if we all t if we all talk about that at the same time, um, and that comes back to power, the system will be forced to turn quite quite quickly, you know. And sure, and so sure. that's that's one of the reasons I, I I sort of encourage people to you know join up to Leland or um, Vimiac or um, Being, which are the the different um, consumer peak bodies in in different uh, parts of Australia. Yeah. Nice. All right, cool. And I had just one other question popped into my mind. I just uh, this might be so dumb, but uh, I just want to hear it. Yeah. You know, you said that you 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 did get that report, but it was all sort of blacked out. And yeah. um, and um, did you know when you like? I, I'm just I just had this image of my head of you being like, yeah, I finally get it. And they emailed it to me, and I opened the attachment, scroll to the bit where I want to get to, and it's all been blocked. Or did you yeah. know that it was blocked before it was coming to you? I had a hint because we had a we had a telephone conversation about it, and they explained you know they explained their logic to me, and I was I was driving I was driving along like the M2, and I just I was just looking out the window, being like I couldn't understand the logic behind it. So, but I you know, um, uh, but I actually wrote to them in advance, and I said please you know for all of these conversations like these public conversations i promise you matt i've had like 30 private conversations to try to resolve it um uh but i remember writing to them saying don't don't reject it you know I'm, you know me you know you know i'm that annoying being the bonnet you know i'm going to appeal it um you and you also <laughs> know i'm going to yes i was all that I, like my letter was like this is all the case law I'm going to win. Don't do it. Don't do it. It's not in your interest to do it. Anyway, they did it. So here we are. It made for a great podcast, hopefully anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time, mate. And well, good luck. We'll keep uh, watching. 
watching how it goes and um, look forward to seeing that data. Thanks so much for, for having me on, Matt. It's really, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, appreciate it. All right, thanks.